0: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host Benjamin Boyce and today's guests are William Ray and Dr. Chris Milburn. William Ray is a independent journalist, a pharmac- uh, pharmacist, no, a farmer, and generally a gadfly to the Canadian authorities. And Chris Milburn is a long-practicing doctor who also speaks out about contentious issues and gets more or less canceled, which means up to it, including being fired for asking questions about what you're not supposed to ask questions about. In this conversation, we talk about Canada's response to COVID-19 with the mandates on vaccination and lockdowns and what William and Chris are doing to sue the government or to initiate judicial review on the authoritarian measures that were taken during the pandemic and overall holding government and power accountable. This is a very fascinating interview. I hope that the platforms that are hosting it allow it to be shown because what we talk about was not allowed whatsoever just a couple years ago or even just a year ago. But for some reason, the restrictions on what we can and can't say on these platforms are changing over time, which is kind of curious in and of itself. So without further ado, here is William Ray and Dr. Chris Milburn. Have you been getting into trouble? Like when we first spoke?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. I am discipline. Well, I mean, it doesn't take much with the regime up here, sir. Isn't that true? Freeze your bank account for attending for, for taking a nice little trip to your capital city.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. I know
1: things, uh, personal level things have actually gone quite well. I now own my own 25 acre farm. The wife's oh. got about three of that under intense cultivation, and I spent the morning uh, hauling potatoes and beets and all kinds of things out of the ground. Oh, wow. Productive member of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, last while I've been busy uh, learning how to be a lawyer.
0: Is that, uh, is that are you a quick study Study with Canadian law?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote uh, the initial submission for this case. I had to write and file it because no lawyer in Nova Scotia would touch it, brother.
0: Why not? Nope.
1: uh, They just, nope, nope, nope. I'll be fired by my firm. Uh, Most of them, it was that. If they were any large firms, just said no. Um, We were told it was a conspiracy theory. We were Right. I mean, it yeah. was incredible. I don't know where you were, but it was incredibly harsh here from the government point of view. You had no, like when I first went, I'll I'll tell the story again when we get on. But when I oh, first we- went to file this matter, they wouldn't even let me in the damn building, brother. Okay. COVID. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know how much it's uh,
2: relevant to this or how much it's of interest, but uh, I don't know if you don't want a background, but uh, I, I'm a doc. I I have run afoul of free speech dictums since before COVID. Like in 2019, I wrote an op-ed for the paper of record here in Nova Scotia that went fairly viral, and I ended up being dragged in front of a college board because I had used the word "criminals" and that was offensive to some people, et cetera, et cetera. It was a big hairy deal. It, uh, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms helped me keep my license. But that was my first run-in with the sensors. And then I was the he- head of emergency for Eastern Nova Scotia, and I got fired because I spoke out over COVID issues. So I've kind of run afoul of the sensors to- twice at least, and more than that in more subtle ways. I was fired from our med school admissions committee for speaking out against race-based admissions policy, et cetera. So I'm kind of a chronic uh, gadfly. And, and my wife and I run this... Uh, again, it might, might be relevant to the discussion of some but my wife and I run, it's called Free Speech in Medicine. It's freespeechandmedicine.com. We we had our first conference last year here in Cape Breton. Jay Bhattacharya was our keynote speaker who came. And this year, we're, we're actually focused on the gender issue. We have kind of, sort, kind of I would say, the world-leading expert in gender transitioning coming uh, to speak. Uh, who? Um, it, it's uh, Ken Zucker. He oh, yeah, was yeah. fired... You know Ken Zucker. Yeah, he's he's our our key keynote for that part. Right? Where Gad Saad is actually our, our you know our official keynote. But Ken Zucker is coming to speak. Amy Ham, who you may or may not have heard of, she's a nurse who got in trouble for her, I Heart J.K. Rowling uh, billboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's coming. We have a few lawyers coming. So so anyway, I'm kind of in the midst of all this uh, free speech gender, all the madness.
0: And cans is one, one, one important part of that at this point. So. Why don't you guys just introduce yourselves to... I, Doc, you already kind of introduced yourself. And by the way, I have a very large database of interviews on the gender topic. I've been investigating it thoroughly for five years. So... Uh,
2: I, I watched some of them,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're aware you're of cool. that. So it would be interesting to talk it. about that too, uh, either today or at another time. I'm really interested in, oh. in your take on that. Yeah. Um, sure. And so you, you just guys want to give us uh, just uh, where you're from and then how you entered into this particular topic uh, around vax mandates. And I guess specifically it's in Nova Scotia, but you guys are kind of taking on – all of Canada or are you just targeting your province? Well, the way our justice system works, which is uh, sort of separate from yours. I'm, I'm
1: William Ray, by the way, no one special, just a gentleman farmer, um, uh, also a veteran, a peacekeeping veteran of the Canadian forces That that point may become relevant later. So um, in the Canadian justice system, which is, is different from the United States, yours is more state Ours is a little more, uh, homogenous in a way. So it's a process, um, called judicial review, which I'm not sure even exists in the United States. And the idea that has been around in the English, uh, common law system forever is that any decision taken by an elected official or any administrator in our case, empowered by the crown, um, May be reviewed by the justices of that province or federally by federal judges, depending on who the decision maker works for. You go to the appropriate court. In our case, Dr. Robert Strang, and doctor is an honorary title given to him by the College of Physician Surgeons here. He has no right to practice at any facility, nor does he have the right to prescribe anything or any other doctor type stuff. So, please don't anybody take that as a mark of confidence. So Dr. Robert Strang is the chief medical officer of health of Nova Scotia employed by the Nova Scotia government. He, uh, is the one, it was through his agency that all the mandates, the lockdowns and the rest of that, that horrifying thing, by the way, Ben, since last time we talked, did Nazi that come. <laughs> <laughs> they took but, us all by surprise. Uh, yeah. So so everything that was done here is done under his direct authority. Once they sort of declare an emergency, everything is done by the Chief Medical Officer of Health. If you like, I'll briefly run you through the basics of it without getting too detailed. We say that he acted ultra virate to the Nova Scotia Health Protection Act, which means that he acted beyond his statutory authority. He acted beyond that which is written in the law allows him to do. We assert he did that in several ways. Most importantly, at Section 53.1 Bravo of the Nova Scotia Health Protection Act, it states that the chief medical officer of health may institute a voluntary vaccination program. The way law works, I mean, if it's circumscribed there, then that overrides oh he can do anything because they wouldn't have bothered making that specific they were doing that to comply obviously with uh, any treaties, uh
0: with what anti-vaccination treaties is that what you said
1: no many international treaties uh no i'm thinking more of the uh like the new nuremberg, uh, nuremberg convention uh, yeah. rights you know international covenant of rights that kind of thing. We just had a precedent in the province of Alberta, which folks won on exactly this kind of thing, the chief medical health officer was ultra a health act. And so what the judge ruled there and what we will have asked for is a ruling that the mandate, the vaccine mandate, had no uh, force in law have an issue from the start, which will, it is quashed and gone. Anything that gets supported is gone by the mandates they have help workers still.
2: Maybe I'll jump in and add something there. Yeah, uh, please. Yeah, like as from a kind of a high level point of view, I'm, I'm not as familiar with, with kind of the weeds of the legal system, but from a high level point of view, um, our Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Constitution was kind of a late thing in Canada. Like 1982, this was all redone. And at the time, like the way that it's written basically says that you are guaranteed all of your charter rights, you know, freedom of association, freedom of religion, freedom of whatever, freedom of movement, unless there's an emergency right? So it's the, unless we declare there's an emergency. So uh, we were, we were living under a state of emergency. I, William can correct me on this, but I think it was for over two years. They just kept renewing a state of emergency, state of emergency, state of emergency. The idea at the start of COVID was that, oh my God, the hospitals are going to be overfilled and people will be dying. The streets will be throwing them in carts and burying them in mass burial grounds. And long after it became abundantly clear that that wasn't an issue. Uh, we still they still kept going with the state of emergency because, you know, go- governments love power. And if being under a state of emergency gives you extraordinary powers, why not just keep it going? So they did. And so going back to what William said, w- we got to a state here where if you were if you were unvaccinated, you could not go to a restaurant. You had to show a vax pass to go to a restaurant, you had to show your vax pass to go to the gym, you had to show your vax pass to go to hockey. Um, we even had parks shut down at one point, you know, like nature parks where you've around trail they were shut down it was uh you you know you you guys worst example in us was california we were uh, as bad and worse than california and the vax mandates went right yeah right down to age 12 where if you were a 13 year old girl and you were in a dancing competition that was coming up uh, if you didn't get vaccinated, guess what? You weren't going. You show your vax pass to go to this. So it, it was very, very draconian. And it was also very convenient for the government because a lot of these things were very unpopular with a good chunk of the population who was kind of suppressed and quieted, but uh, the government didn't have to wear any of it because all they had to say was, oh, well, you know, it's that we're just following public health orders. And when public health got pinned down on it, they said, oh, no, no, we just, we just make recommendations. It's the government that, makes rules. And so it was sort of like it It was him and it was hard. It was, it was fighting with this was trying to like trying to punch a cloud, you know, like there's just nothing there to to fight because it was always somebody else's uh, somebody else's fault. And uh, w- the medical officer of health in uh, our provinces, has always been somebody like Dr. Strang has been our medical officer of health for 20-ish years. Nobody had ever heard of him. He sat in a lonely basement office looking at a wall and putting out memos about, don't forget to get your flu shot. Nobody cared about him. And then suddenly COVID hit and he was on the news every night. And literally there were people putting his picture up on their wall, like Dr. Strang is a hero, protecting us all from COVID. So I think it was very hard for him. It would be hard for any of us to be put on that kind of a pedestal and he was given the order of Nova Scotia and all this, it would be very hard to step down and give up that power. So uh, that, I think it really went to, uh, I can't speak for him, but it, it seemed like the, this amount of power really went to his head and the head of other medical officers of health too. With just this massive power that was imbued with them. They were basically given the keys to the provincial car and said, you drive this wherever you want because and we'll, we all have to go with you.
0: Okay. So, and who is informing him on the correct decisions and how is, is this under review? Is if you go through and you say, listen, the science was bunk or they were mistaken and you, you overstepped your bounds and this and this and this, is that the judicial review process is what will decide whether or not they were making a good decision or not?
1: Uh, Yes. Yes. They have to show a logical change. The danger in the Canadian courts in judicial review, and they say it many places, they will not adjudicate science. You're not going to put two scientific studies in front of Be very clear, sir. We are not in court saying that the facts, we, we call it an experimental MNRA product, which is whatever. Um, we are going to. We are hoping to with uh, one of the things we have to put in called the motion for the record. Because one of the first things the government has to do if you get in on this, they have to provide you with every document the decision maker used coming to this decision, unredacted. The best FOI. Uh, they warn you not to go fishing, but to some extent we can answer that and say, well, we think this is here, this here, it should. So we will enter, I think for the first time in a Canadian court, the Pfizer documents. Pfizer's documents that were released by a Kentucky judge or somebody. Uh, we are going to enter them in evidentiary submission here in Longstone. And okay. we will make certain assertions about Dr. training because we have an exhaustive record of every public statement he made for two years.
2: Maybe, maybe I'll just add to Benjamin if I could. Uh, so this, part of the reason this court case is important, we, uh, here in Nova Scotia, I, when I was head of Emerge, I had a lot of questions behind the scenes. I was head of Emerge when COVID hit for about another uh, a year and more before I got fired for speaking out against COVID policy. And, um, I looked for answers. Just what you're saying. Who? What was the science behind this? Who made this decision? What were the studies that were used to come to this decision, et cetera, et cetera? The answer that I got back was these decisions are private. It's an in, in-camera in private meeting of the premier, the uh, you know the chief medical officer of health, a few select inner cabal people. There, so there's this committee that was struck that went behind closed doors and would come out of the, committee meeting and say, everybody will now wear a mask everywhere, or you'll be fined or thrown in jail or whatever. And when those of us who were somewhat skeptical about, say, the evidence behind universal mask policies asked, we were told, you're not privy to that information. That is a private decision made by our committee, and you will adhere to it. So it was kind of like this, this new star chamber that was formed. So this, this, I'm very um, pleased to, that this is proceeding because at least it's going to bring some of this out and drag it out into the light and say, okay, wait a minute. Why did you decide that 13 year old healthy people have to get vaccinated before they go to their dance competition? Where the heck did
0: that come from? Is there any precedent for the government, at least the Canadian government going this far and keeping it this private at the same time? like maybe a war, right? Like this is a state of emergency. Like if they're like fighting, if, if we tried to annex you guys, which we probably should, um, then I would understand there would be like these secret meetings where the, you know, the military people, like they, they're going to keep their plans uh, private to keep the Americans out and to keep Canada free. Uh, so it makes sense in that state. But in terms of public health, why would the government want to keep who who's it hiding the information from there the, the 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 virus isn't going to like get wise to you know the humans and and mutate
1: i guess my first comment would be last time you guys tried to annex 1812 two of my ancestors ended up taking a lovely trip to washington dc and setting your capital building on fire so i'm just going to leave that there okay. um the the other times uh Okay, in, internally, I would say that, that we had something called the Quebec crisis in 1970. Martial law was declared in Canada. Uh, Justin Trudeau's daddy, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, uh, declared martial law in Canada, coast to coast. And uh, a large part of the Canadian army was sent into Quebec. Streets of Montreal, every corner had a soldier. Uh, warrantless house searches. Uh, anonymous detention.
0: Yeah. So, So an insurrection, I understand. This is a military yeah. thing. And, Doc, what, what do you have?
1: Yeah, Benjamin, your, your
2: question is a very good one. So, why are these decisions secret? What is the idea behind that? Like, it makes total sense to me that if we're, you know, in uh, two months from now, we go to war with Iceland, um, you don't want the position of Canadian warships. Advertised to our Icelandic foes, right? Um, so th- those kind of things make sense. But the idea with these government decisions and and spending of public money, let's say, and making decisions that affect the public, the idea is that the only time they should be uh, not be public is when there's a compelling reason to keep them private. Um, the, so there's really no compelling reason to keep decisions around COVID private. What? to try to get into the head of the people who decided to do that and what when i dug into this issue and got slapped in the face with this issue what i found out was that there was this idea that the public is stupid they can't possibly understand complexities of information and if we present them with a complex picture that there might be two sides to any argument then everything will fall apart. So the only way forward with a good public health policy is for everyone to be uh, unanimous. Uh, and we actually, are us, we physicians in Nova Scotia got emailed a, a kind of a, a dictum from our college saying, you will be on board with public health measures. And they use the word unanimity is key to solving this crisis. And they use the word anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. So i.e. the implication being, if you like practicing medicine and keeping your job, shut the hell up, don't criticize masks, don't criticize any public health policy, don't criticize vaccines. And as you you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but that's incredibly antithetical to science, right? Science is about refutation and argument. And I love, one of my favorite sayings is um, uh, Richard Feynman, a very famous physicist said, uh, science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. I.e. there is no one person at the top who tells us everything to do. That's religion, that's the Pope who tells you all what to do and there's papal infallibility. There's not medical officer of health infallibility. These guys get things wrong. They can, they do, they have repeatedly. We we had th- thalidomide, and we had uh, the the opioid crisis, which doctors were complicit in, and all these things that we did wrong. The only way we corrected those over time was by open argumentation. And so the idea that we must be unanimous around COVID, everybody's got to shut up, so that the stupid public doesn't get confused. That was really a kind of a new way of looking at uh, at how public health interacts with 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 yeah. uh, the population at large. I do think it was coming for a while. I don't think it started with COVID. It came with, it started back, remember this idea of nudging and nu- they had nudge units in Britain. I don't know if you know this history, but this is going back 10 or 15 years, but they had this idea instead of just talking to the public openly about, Hey, uh, you know, you shouldn't drink too much. If you drink too much, it's bad for you. And here's how much we think is okay. And whatnot. Instead it was, we're going to make things really difficult to drink too much. We're going to add on some extra taxes. We're going to outlaw sales of alcohol in certain places. And that was called nudging. And so it was this idea that we don't talk to the public directly and we know what's best for them. And we'll kind of nudge them in the right direction. And, uh, during COVID the idea of nudging wasn't too, wasn't new, but nudging turned into shoving during COVID. Yeah. The way and
0: it's just fascinating how unanimous this was all like all the colleges, all of the hospitals, all these professional organizations, the entire government and the media apparatus, of course, were all in lockstep of, we are going to mandate this stuff. There's one way to view this and it's going to be total. It just seems like, why would they, this is, this is conspiracy. There's no way to really under, well, there's so many different ways to understand this. It's really hard to like break it all apart, but it's really incredibly short-sighted if it turns out that they were wrong and then they overstepped. And then the science is no longer trusted by the bulk of people. The bulk of people now lose an incredible amount of trust in these so-called experts because they went too, too fast, too hard, too soon, too completely. And so, it's an uphill battle to hold them to account. If the entire structure is on board with this and the process that you guys are going through right now is one step in, in kind of nudging back or shoving back in order to get them to admit fault or at least to, over the course of time, reestablish that we can trust these experts because these experts are able to be held accountable. They're able to say we were wrong. Here's why, here's how we were wrong. Here's, we were operating under this mindset and it turned out to be false. And so we're going to correct it. seems like reestablishing trust, what you guys are doing in the long run is trying to reestablish trust in, you know, actual experts. Mm
2: -hmm. And I can tell you from, like, I'm still a practicing doc and I can tell you absolutely the my many for many of my patients their faith in the healthcare system and doctors in general and i get painted with the same brush right They wrongly it has been shattered so convincing people to do things that they probably need look you need this test i think you have cancer you should get this test it's like uh, i don't have much faith in the system anymore um so i do worry um i do worry about the impact that that's going to have overall because Losing losing faith in authority, I think, is good. Losing faith in the ability of the scientific process to lead us to some type of truth or reason is is that's negative.
0: Hmm. Hmm. No, to I keep on wanting to bring up maids, but that's a completely other conversation for another
1: day. Well you could probably have a, a big chin wag with John uh,
0: Selber yeah, yeah. point.
2: Yeah, I've written. I've written a piece on that. Actually, I can send you. I'll send
0: you the link after. I'll follow up on chat. that. Yeah. So, what? Let's go the next step of this suit. I know the word probably is not suit. This judicial yeah, review. It, so
1: it is a civil procedure review. If that's
0: okay. The term. So it, once it gets to a judge, then the judge is yep. going to have to, all these documents are going to be public, all the Pfizer documents, and then it's going to be discovery, where the government is going to be forced into releasing all the talks, all the notes. No, we of we already these secret have meetings. discovery, sir. Okay, that's already. The
1: discovery, as soon as I file, they have uh, technically 10 days to respond with the entire record. Now, it's a... Took- much longer than that. At the end of the day, they dumped eight gigs on it of internal government documents.
0: And these are PDF files, so that's a lot of data.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of it was baffling you with bullshit. Um, they, they sent us screenshots of Public Health Canada. Um, now, legally, we're in good there because they in Canada provinces are constitutionally responsible for health. So Robert Strang is the only person directly on, yeah, yeah. Right. you know, throw that one. So, while you know, we enjoyed them both, but, you know, it doesn't help.
0: So, so theoretically, theoretically, Strang, Strang could be scapegoated and everything, the government could just pin everything on him and send him on his way.
1: Um, well, I guess I guess uh, I will read you the one part directly of our suit, which is what is called the order proposed. So this is what we want. Like okay. in in a civil suit, this would be the amount of money. Huh? Okay. So order proposed a declaration that the order under review is ultra vires the Health Protection Act and that the impunged order and attached protocol was of no legal force and effect ab initio from the start, from the moment he pronounced that it was worth. Uh, There's only like five, by the way. Uh, Number two, a declaration that the order under review breached the respondent, Robert Strang's, duty of procedural fairness and was a violation of the applicant's human rights and fundamental freedoms manifested in the Canadian Bill of Rights and Charter Value. Three, a declaration that respondent, Robert Strang, acting as CMOH, Chief Medical Officer of Health, breached his duty to the applicants and to the public to act in good faith and whereby the Chief Medical Officer of Health cannot benefit from immunity under Section 12 of the Health Protection Act Number four, an order of prohibition preventing the respondents, and that's the whole government, not just them, preventing the respondents from instituting anything but a voluntary immunization program at any time in the future. And five, any such other relief as this Honorable Court Determines is appropriate.
0: So uh, theoretically... If the judge was on your side, that any any such relief, the government could, uh, the judiciary could hold the government responsible for lost income from all the shutdowns.
1: He could. He could order any. There's a very wide range of things okay. judge could order. We will certainly be satisfied if he grants those four points. Where we we will call ourselves satisfied and we will begin massive civil proceedings. So lacking the immunity under Section 12, which compels him at all times to act in good faith, Robert Strang can be sued or have criminal proceedings instituted against him by any person harmed by individual. Okay. So instead of charge, so we're not asking for money from the whole, we are not asking for, which we have the right to do. So even if we win, we don't want the Crown to pay a bunch of money because that's coming out of our pocket, anyway, right? No, we we will then make demand the responsible pay, pay, and pay. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah then.
0: Okay. So this potentially this suit could potentially lead to a whole host of other suits um, where where claimants can go to the government. Yeah. Okay. So and then under this judgment you guys screwed me over in this way that those churches can go to the government there can be a lot of people held accountable. Law enforcement could po- potentially even be held accountable for arresting people under false pretenses and da 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 well cetera, that would,
1: if if the thing is without legal force have an issue then that opens them up, yes, the litigation okay. because anybody they arrested or something could say, Hey, you had no right to do that. It's not in the actual criminal law. So
2: one of one of the things that one of the things that I wonder about too, uh, you know, I'll just give you an example. Uh, I had a young patient, young male, who did not want to get vaccinated, really, but was told he should, and basically told he had to if he wanted to keep his job. Got vaccinated and got a very serious case of myocarditis. Ended up hospitalized for the better part of a week, off work for several months. Um, you know, really, really affected his overall functioning. Um, we had over 80 um, myocarditis cases in Nova Scotia alone. So, mm-hmm. you know, I look at a case like this, if it can be demonstrated that Dr. Strang was uh, acting beyond his scope and in bad faith, and these people can come back and now say, look, I would not have gotten vaccinated if it weren't for this order from this man. Uh, I do think it really opens him up to some pretty big litigation
0: potential. So this is mostly about the vax mandates. What about like just in the case of hospital hospitals shutting down or surg, surgical departments of hospitals shutting down and you know cancer screenings going through the you know, falling off like all of that from the lockdown all of that uh subsequent uh you know damage. I
2: I would speculate that it's probably unrelated because that was not an order from public health that the hospitals must shut down. That was the hospital system itself. Again, getting together behind closed doors, who made that decision? I I don't know who would wear that. Could they be be singled out and brought out of the herd and and sued? I I don't know. But that was not a public health order, so I don't think it directly relates to this.
0: So... As you said earlier, the government or the judiciary is not going to rule on matters of science. There, I guess if you hold all this research up, like how are you going to make the case, like through all these Pfizer documents, through all these closed-door meetings? It's a damn, well, the, the close, he can't have any closed-door meeting. So far in the right, so far the Crown has not
1: asserted some sort of privilege on his part, like they haven't said, oh, well, that's lawyers, but they haven't, as far as I know, they haven't asserted that. Um, it's a very thin line. So what I can do, what I can put in front of the judge is some of the conclusions of the FISA guidance, because that we can take as a fact. I will assert that as fact, but the judge isn't going to rule on whether or not they were cause by yeah, this. So you see what I'm saying? So I can, but I only need a couple of facts. I need the fact they never tested for um, transmission, stopping transmission. Very important because the Health Act is very specific in that all actions he takes he must have a reasonable belief that they will stop the transmission. they, he had no basis for that. Reasonable.
0: Okay, assuming that he had those documents uh, and that he reviewed those documents himself.
1: Well, that's the concept of known or should have known, Okay. right? He had a responsibility. Again, he is uniquely and solely legally responsible for the the, the health, the the public health of the people of Nova Scotia. So if he proposes to mandate a product to them, he had better have looked at the original documents he has a duty to do it. it's not enough so health canada you know gave it emergency authorization so what health canada doesn't decide what the people there are different provinces in canada where some types of, of medications are available and are not
0: perhaps the doctor can speak to this i'm just thinking of people who are skeptical of vax skepticism or specifically the experimental mra um whatever you euphemism you guys want to call it so what about the people who think that the government was doing the best that they could with the information like what's the argument that they overstepped on the science and the medical side specifically with the vaccine was it necessary from your point of view that this vaccine uh, was it necessary that everybody take it was it the right decision was it was it effective was it you know like what's the argument that this thing is a bunk product or just implemented incorrectly so
2: medicine and medical decision making is has always been and will forever be about risk benefit analysis right so there's no such thing any any treatment with effects has side effects so you get heartburn well you can take a heartburn drug but heartburn drugs can prevent you from absorbing calcium correctly, or iron correctly, or B12, and you can get deficient over time. So, it's not as easy as uh, everybody must take this heartburn medication if they get heartburn because it'll cure their heartburn, right? Um, similarly, we so we've never ever once had a health product where we said everybody from eight months to 80 years old has to take this because it's good for everyone. We've never, that doesn't exist. And oh, and by the way, it's completely safe and effective and it has no side effects. That just doesn't exist. So right off the hop, when this came out and they started to say, there's no side effects, there's no side effects, there's no side effects. That's where I fell off the rails with things. It's like, okay, wait a minute, you're, you're not you're not being honest with me. It was very clear, even by the summer of 2020, so a year before vaccine mandates came into effect in Canada, we knew that uh, children were at extremely low risk. So, a healthy child, their risk of dying of getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is, you know, probably less than getting struck by lightning if you're a healthy child. So when you say, well, the, you you could maybe try to make the argument that the risks of a vaccine are small. I, I don't actually agree with that, but especially with this vaccine. But even if you could make that argument, it, it, when you say it's small, is it less than getting hit by lightning? Because if it's not, then the risk benefit equation doesn't work for young healthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the one of the arguments that they fell back on to force everybody to get vaccinated was, well, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to prevent infection. But we now know through FOIPOP data, Freedom of Information data, and and Pfizer's own admissions and uh, questioning under oath that Pfizer, the Pfizer study never looked into reducing transmission. The Pfizer study, the only endpoint of that study was are less people ending up seriously ill or hospitalized. My personal view, having reviewed that, is they didn't even prove that, but they certainly didn't even try to prove that it prevented transmission. And it turns out it doesn't. And it turns out, in fact, there's this um, this kind of strange medical phenomena where you uh, uh, c- create an immune system that's a one-trick pony, and it actually doesn't f- fight COVID as well. So it seems now like people who are vaccinated are actually more likely to get COVID repeatedly and therefore more likely to pass it on. So that, and that data was very quietly available, even in the spring of 2021, when the vaccine was still in the early experimental stages being foisted on the public, that data was around that people who had been vaccinated were getting COVID. Um, And we know from freedom of information uh, data that, our medical officers of health and the powers that be knew that when they were forcing it on people saying, if you get this, you won't pass COVID on to anyone else. That's why you have to get it. Right. So it's clear to me, uh, we, you know, we can go down a long, long road with this, but I think the vaccines are far more risky than they had let on. They do not uh, decrease transmission. In fact, they may increase transmission and therefore all of these arguments about it's so safe and effective and wonderful that you all need to get it they, they fall apart one of the other things that's uh, very interesting because it's an, an inherent contradiction in what was said is that like this vaccine is wonderful it's so awesome it works so great that you have to get it or you'll present a risk to people who are already vaccinated it's like well like, it can't be both if it's that great then what do vaccinated people have to worry about from unvaccinated people? And if it's not that great, how can you be forcing it on people? You can't have it both ways. It's just the right amount good that you have to get it. But people who are vaccinated are still at high risk. Like that, that can't be, that can't be true. So there was a lot, a lot here that just falls apart on space when you dig into it at all.
0: If there's, is there any way for us to interpret their behavior other than just wanting control? Like why is there any like good faith argument of why they would mandate this?
1: Uh, very early on in the pandemic, I uh, made contact. Uh, I I have after I got out of the Canadian Armed Forces in 1996, I was finding the hell out. Um, you know, bioscience was look like a good money maker. Uh, I always liked biology. So I actually took three years of biochem at Simon Fraser University. Um, so. You know, not a doctor, uh, didn't finish the degree, but, you know, I, I had enough to know that, that you know, somewhat, of they're saying was false. And I monitored the science papers. So I noticed a paper from uh, researchers at the University of Delhi, who I have corresponded with since and who stand by their work, took the genetic code given by the Chinese, ran it through their whatever fancy machines they have there.
0: The genetic code of it, COVID. 19.
1: Yeah, the genetic code of COVID, it was supplied by the Chinese because a lady in Ontario, quick side, uh, with uh, free uh, fluoride free peel, she doesn't want fluoride in the water. She FOI'd everyone in the world and asked if they had isolated the virus, including our health guys. Nobody did, which is the normal. The doctor can speak to that, but it's the normal course of events. Each individual national health organization would individually isolate the virus so that we know we got the right thing because we're full of these these things. It's not that easy, you know? So what they found in analyzing the genetic code is four long code sites, four of them, that are exact matches for HIV-1. Uh, their research was backed up by the fact that in the course of testing a vaccine, the Australians had to withdraw it because everyone that took it came up with a positive HIV test. Okay, uh, I, I As I said, I got on the phone with this gentleman, this doctor, right around the time they're producing the vaccine and I said, well, what do you think about the fact that You know, obviously a vaccine, and this was in the spike protein. I think I missed that. The four sites all in the spike protein. So what does the vaccine cause your body to produce? Right? The the Pfizer product causes the muscle cells of your body to produce the spike protein. So the muscle cells of your body are producing sections of HIV code. Now, I ain't a doctor. I don't know if that's bad, but it does sound great. And the, the researcher himself, when i I, you know i i don't know why but he he hadn't seemed to 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 realize that oh my god you know they're going to make the vaccine or i don't know but he said that he found it absolutely irresponsible to template a vaccine off this and especially an mnra vaccine
0: right especially why especially an mnra so uh m messenger ribonucleic acid uh
1: is the transfer system for dna so dna opens up and wants to create something so first it creates a mirror template that mirror template is is messenger ribonucleic acid right so there's like it's adenine quantity there's there's a there's like four yep. different amino acids and they pair so it forms the mirror of this then it goes out and uh, ribonucleic acid particles that, that match in the opposite way, form off that and create whatever protein is being coded to create. Now, during the pandemic, they made a lot of yip-yip about, oh, this doesn't enter the nucleus. Something like 70% of the active human DNA, are and the doctor can correct me here, is contained in the ribosomes. Right, Because that's where your proteins are manufactured, not in your, not in your nucleus. Most, a lot of the stuff floating around your nucleus is what they call junk DNA. We don't know what it does anymore. Maybe it did something, maybe I don't know. Hmm. So you are reprogramming that person's DNA to produce something that is not natural to that human. And we do not know yet if that change in that coding is permanent because it can be no long-term studies of something that's three years old. Doc, interesting. you want to Yeah, go can ahead, can please. I, can
2: I, I'll, I'll add something. I had big concerns about mRNA tech when they were pushing it out on this grand scale. It, it has been around for a while, but they're using it in pretty specific um, circumstances, like very specific genetic diseases and kind of last-ditch attempts at treating cancers and things, but not saying, hey, we're going to take your healthy 12-year-old and stick this into them, right? So uh, the problem with moving from a kind of a traditional vaccine technology, like a deactivated virus versus mRNA, a deactivated virus, you basically take the virus, you denature it so that it can't replicate, and then you inject a bunch of it into somebody. And the virus has a whole bunch of different parts and proteins. So your body produces, we'll say like a bouquet of flowers, uh, a bunch of different antibodies. It learns to recognize that virus produces a bunch of different antibodies. So in general, if that virus mutates a bit, it's not going to mutate everything all at once and mutate a little bit, but you still have the other flowers still work against that virus. Yeah. The, the problem with mRNA tech was that uh, it, it's produ- it's hijacking your own body's cellular machinery to produce kind of an unknown quantity of this stuff because you're actually replicating this inside your own body. Your own body is making it. They didn't really know, and be humans are all different. Are some humans going to produce a little of it or are some going to produce a lot? What is too much? What could that do? The other problem is that it's, it's not the whole bunch of proteins, different proteins that we see on the virus. It's one protein. You're producing a red rose, not a bouquet of flowers. Hmm. So when that red rose turns into a pink rose, all of a sudden your body can't recognize it. It can't really work. That's why highly mutable viruses, these rapidly mutating viruses like coronaviruses, there's been attempts in the past to make vaccines for these things, but they can't really work because you can't stay ahead of it. By the time you figure out the sequence, you make a vaccine, you get it out there while the virus has already changed, which is essentially what happened with with COVID. Um, And what seems to be happening now, I mentioned before that it seems like people who are vaccinated are getting sick more often. And what that seems to be, it's this thing called antigenic imprinting. Your immune system is a one trick pony. It sees something that looks like COVID. Oh, we seem to be infected with COVID. And it makes that one thing that you're trained to make, but it's the wrong thing. So your, your immune system waits all, wastes all this time and energy producing the wrong type of antibody, which is poorly or not effective. And the virus just sort of lingers on and on and on your body. And we seem to be seeing that now where people Does are it, not only
0: getting COVID more often, but if they're more vaccinated, they seem to be sick longer with it. Okay. So this is way out of my wheelhouse, but the body isn't producing a v- variation. The body isn't able to kind of... Do a shotgun method at the COVID virus, so the COVID virus goes and mutates, and then the body isn't doing that. Uh, it's, it's variation. Can't,
2: it can't handle. Yeah. So when when and it you can't recognize anything an
0: else, so it just it, it only makes that whenever it's stimulated by a COVID-ish thing, then it, it can only ever make this one thing. It's trained to only make this one well, counter. Well,
2: what I'd say, yes, yes, you're 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 summarizing that more or less correctly. That you the mRNA vaccine, if you want to call the vaccine. The mRNA product trains your body to make one type of antibody, one only. And so when COVID mutates and that that sequence of proteins that your body, that that antibody can recognize when that sequence changes, that antibody is no longer effective. But it's clo- The, 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 Subsequent infections are close enough to stimulate that previous antibody response, which is now no longer effective. So it's not... These things in the body are never black and white. So it's not like you don't produce any other uh, antibodies or whatnot. It's just that your body is wasting time producing a whole lot of one antibody. Okay.
0: and, And it's less effective immune response. And then does it make it the case that the Pfizer or the government or these medical vaccine producers are now they're going to analyze the next COVID and then kind of take over the job of the immune system for everybody and just like modify the MRNA vaccine. So people will always be needing a three month MRNA kick to to do the work that the body would have been doing naturally, but now that the government's taken over, or like this external entity has taken over the process of coding for this one thing, people need to constantly be getting the updated counter. That's it. that's correct. So that's what that's what the idea was when they went
2: moved to this bivalent booster. They had both the old what we call I call it COVID classic. Uh, protein, but they also had the the newer kind of updated. Um, um, I think it was at the time Omicron when the first booster came out. But the problem with that, like I say, is that COVID mutates just too quickly. It takes you time in a lab to analyze this, to produce it, to ramp up production, to get it out there, to give it everybody, put it in all their arms. By that time, COVID's moved on. It mutates very quickly, and just in the same way that taking antibiotics can produce super bugs like super bacteria in that same way viruses if you are if your immune system is really good at fighting one exact thing, viruses mutate really quickly they even produce a range when they're when they're reproducing in your own body not every copy is exactly the same. So the copies that are exactly the same probably get fought off fairly well. The copies that are at all different, they they are more successful. And so yeah. that's what you reproduce. So we basically, per, we stimulate, we, a lot of people worried about this right from the beginning, but we, we probably stimulate the production of variants. When we vaccinate with very specific vaccines, we stimulate okay, we fought that really well. That's great. The COVID just works around it and produces something yeah. different. Well, and,
0: it's- and on top of that, COVID is, if, if you have a world of 8 billion people with this let's just say like half of them get COVID, they're spread out over the globe. The COVID's not just mutating all at once. It's mutating in all these different places. So you would actually have to shut down travel and then every country or every province or every town would have to have its own MRNA for that one. Don't instance give me any ideas
1: for God's sake.
0: It just, okay. So with all that said, why would the government, why would power go down this route of getting everybody hooked on this thing and then, it just doesn't seem very uh, far-sighted. I, I will make. I, I'd like to make one note here, and this is just a point of fact.
1: I'm. I'm. You know. I'm not. I'm not putting on my tinfoil It's just a point of fact. Uh, public health had at its birth, back in the early 1900s, had a conjoined twin called eugenics. Just going to put that out there uh, as a legal note. On the legal side of the mnra vaccine so there was a legal case they made a movie out of it with uh christopher walken uh saskatchewan farmer got accused by monsanto of stealing their genetic seed right because some of it blew on his property he was a seed saver and uh, they said he's stealing their stuff so he went to court in that decision. The Canadian court ruled that once a, a a organism has been genetically modified, which that's exactly what you would call what the COVID vaccine does, that it is then the property of the corporation that modified it. Thus, this man lost to Monsanto. So just hmm. put that out there. Okay.
2: Um, just in terms of wh- wh- why they would do this, well, what... What happened during Covid was this weird, unholy alliance between public health government and big pharma. You know, twenty years ago, people on the left of the political spectrum, which I probably would have been made to some extent included myself back then, we were rapidly anti big pharma because we saw that these people don't really care about your health. They, if you get healthy, they don't sell you anything, right? So they these people want to sell you drugs. that's their job. And that was fine as long as we had some limits and some controls and some, um, uh transparency where we could see what they were doing and maybe try to avoid the worst scourges of what they're trying to push on us the problem is that under the guise of this you know emergency that we have to do something we have to do something everybody's dying of covid what what happened was uh you know I was just reading more about it this morning the, the companies made record, record profits, Moderna, uh, BioNTech, um, Pfizer made record profits selling these. They're all, you know, free to the end user. So they're paid for by governments. Generally, people aren't paying, they're not going in paying $150 or $200 for a COVID shot. It's, it's free. So the cost is hidden, but also uh, anyone who, who had a, bad vaccine reaction and uh, needs compensation, that's borne by the taxpayer. That is not, uh, the, 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 they're indemnified against any uh, downsides by by us, uh, the taxpayer. So it's win-win for the drug companies. And when you look at the kind of the revolving door between uh, the kind of the CEO and the higher up positions in big pharma and our regulatory agencies, it's just this constant flow of out one door and into the other. They're, they're pretty much indistinguishable. The, the, the players, the personalities, their goals. So, uh, this idea that our, you know, health Canada or, or the CDC or these organizations are there to protect us against the worst scourges of big pharma, this idea, maybe it was true at some point. I don't know if it ever was, but it is certainly not true now. And, and now I look at it as just one big mass that's there to push as many vaccines on us as possible and it is hard to know what to trust anymore it's very very hard to know if we can trust anything coming out of them
0: so it's just like the financial system like the regulatory bodies for the financial system uh spend half their lives working for the big corporations and the other half their lives working for the government or vice versa the same thing with public health which is not i mean it's one level of worrisome when it's the financial because that's like how we you know our economy runs this is also happening in how our bodies run, and then also in how we can connect with each other, and you know who we can trust, like just on the street. do they have a mask? Do they not have a mask? Like the amount of anxiety that these nudges introduced into the public was another health scourge on a mental and a psychological level. And so with all of this said, who gets to be held accountable? And how does it, how does it go forward? Is this potentially this case, this suit could open the door for the government being held accountable and maybe different decision makers being put into place and policies being battened down so that there is a limit to what the government, the health um, industry, and then the, uh, this whole sector, this whole mess is talking about, like there's a limit somehow, a cap.
1: Part of our purpose, and by our, I mean the Citizens Alliance, um, we ended our relationship with our... We had hired a lawyer for a certain period of time, but we ended our relationship with him. Uh, we didn't have a good relationship. Um, so we were faced with getting new counsel suddenly, and, and you have to, or you get booted sort of thing. Or, Well, we can represent ourselves, right? And in fact, I am what's called the agent, for the Citizens Alliance, so me personally, I will get up and speak in front of uh, the justice uh, on our behalf. We decided to do this because we went looking for a lawyer and to do some of the work I've done the last couple of weeks. He wanted 20 grand to start. Right. And raising that kind of money is difficult. The judicial review process in Canada is very contained. It is our belief that a group of motivated citizens like us anywhere in the country can use this process. And we are intending to provide a blueprint to do that. To redress not only the vaccine, but any decision that a government that that the government makes can be taken under review, and if it's done skillfully, it 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 is a form of, I suppose you could say, lawfare. That can we Citizens Alliance is gearing up to take the education minister to task next. Some of that will be about gender, right? Um, because yes, it can be a powerful tool. Like many places, it's worth noting that CRT and a lot of other things first came in through the legal schools, right? So there's a big ideological bias, certainly in the Crown's office and this and that. Some of these judges, we filed in the the rural county of Yarmouth, where my farm is, partly because the judges are simply a little more legally conservative, Not, not politically, but legally they tend to stick more to interpreting the law rather than broad issues of social justice so we hope through our efforts to hold robert strang directly accountable we hope to put a huge shot across the face of the government to say you may never again try this okay never again can you try and coerce people into any medical treatment no Right, we will. On top of what the law says, we will have a judge saying, "No, guys, this is the law." And if they do it, they have automatically broken the law. If they trespass against his prohibition. Hmm.
0: So, then if if, that if, the MO, if this vaccine actually worked, it might make sense. Like, if it was a good idea, if it was a healthy decision, it just seems like why would they blow their wad, their authority on something that, when you look at it, it just doesn't. Beta it's test. It's like if if they would have chosen something actually work. It's a beta test.
1: For your general questions, my belief uh, is that what we are witnessing through CRT through all of this, because I mean, for me, gender and COVID have a slight relationship. The gender crap and the COVID have a slight relationship. And here's what it is: What does what is it that gender theory and the way it's been implemented? And I, you know. Mr. Peterson and the issues he's had with the Canadian legislation. What it demands that you do, sir, is that you ignore the evidence in front of your two eyes in favor of government dogma. So it softened the way and and CRT got across the idea that to say something can be harmful, deadly in fact. We We saw that used well in COVID. They'd already prepared the population. For me, The pattern of action here, this is a program, Hmm. right? When I first spoke to you years ago, I said that what had attracted my attention to this was that I saw a program underway, and that's what I see here. Hmm. Um, And yeah, it's it's very, very in your face here in Canada, right? You disagree with us, Hmm. we will stomp you into the dust. So that's what we are hoping to do for the rest of the time. I think I think you and Doctor Melbourne could have, uh, unless you have any other questions for me on the legal front. I think you and Doctor Melbourne can have an excellent uh, chin wag here. Lovely <laughs> well, to see you. I'm, sure,
2: I'm, I'm sure you could be part of this too. I, I'll, I'll add in a little bit there, but just to come back to what you said. Uh, I don't think there's any way that somebody can say that if if the scientific facts were different then the coercion would somehow be okay i don't actually think that's true um i think what um what what's wrong with that is number one coercion is coercion so coercion we've never allowed anybody to be coerced in anything let's say that i i don't know william gets diagnosed with COPD next week. And I say, listen, dude, you got to, you can't smoke anymore. Right? Well, that's, that's fine for us to have that discussion as doctor and patient. But if I lock him up against his will with no cigarettes, we've never said that that's okay. Um, And the problem that we've run into, there's this rather than a principled thinking, when we went into COVID, to me, the problem wasn't that we got the science wrong. We get the science wrong over and over and over again. We did it with thalidomide in the sixties. We did it with other drugs that we, Vioxx, we allowed it on the market and killed a bunch of people from heart attacks. Oops, oops, oops. We constantly make these oopses. The difference was like nobody ever got forced to take Vioxx. There was no Viox mandate. There was no thalidomide mandate. There was no mandate that you take Oxycontin, right? Doctors made mistakes. We, we, probably sold it to patients when th- th- these things were actually terrible for them. But uh, yeah, but they weren't forced to take it. The, it's only in the cold light of day, often 20, 30, 40 years after these things pass that we can look back and say, holy man, did we ever make a mistake there? So the thought of forcing people to do certain things to their body in the heat of the moment. It's, it, it's never right. It's wrong on principle. The other part of the other philosophical concept that comes into this, there's this real danger. You hear people talking about the public good. We're doing this for the public good. Yes. You don't want to take a vaccine, but it's for the public good. Every evil, every major evil ever done in a society. When you look at it, it was done for the public good. Mao did what he did for the public good. Paul Pot did what he did for the public good. Uh, Hitler did what he did for the public good. We got to exterminate the Jews. It's for the public good. The Hutus and the Tutsis. It's all for the public good. We we've never committed an atrocity in the name of personal liberty. Right. Hmm. There's no. There's no. Uh, oh, we we want to protect individual rights, and that created this mass atrocity. Hmm. You can you can th- you can think about it, but it's actually never happened. Well, there, it, there can just be push- some bad things that happen.
0: Yeah, I just push back, maybe you could counter this, but I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking of San Francisco or Portland where they just legalized drugs. You know, it's personal liberty and the results of that is Ooh, massive yeah, overdoses, no, addiction I don't
2: and know, homelessness. I don't know if you, uh, I'll, again, I'll send you another article. These, these have not been legalized. It's not for personal liberty that they've been legalized. It was actually done as harm reduction for the public good. Harm, harm reduction policies are for the public good. We've given out free needles and zone kits and made safe injection sites, and we've legalized more and more drugs. It was because we believe that if we do that, well, the reason that it's causing harm is that people have to go to the black market to get it. And if we just legalize it, it'll reduce the harm. So actually, these were all, if you read about the logic, it's not the libertarians that brought this out. Not at all. It's the left end of the political spectrum that pushed this harm reduction into society. So it's all done in the name of the public good. And now we have
0: people shitting on the streets in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, good uh, pushback.
1: Quick point for uh, Mr. Milburn when he said that, uh, or Dr. Milburn, sorry, when he said that, uh, you know, Dr. Robert Sprang had spent 20 years in a basement. Well, no, he didn't actually, Mr. Milburn. Him and Dr. Dr. Tam, our transgender chief public officer of health for Canada,
0: we have one of those um,
1: too. We do. That's our that's that's our chief medical officer of health for the country. The one that sat beside Trudeau. That's uh, used to be Michael something or other. Anyway. Um, uh, her and Strang are the ones that did the research and issued the study that said we should legalize all drugs. They did that about uh, 10 years ago or or maybe a little less. So uh, yeah, just wanted to add that there. <laughs> hmm.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll take this uh, opportunity to jump in and just make a plug. Like these are, these are really interesting issues. Uh, and our, Our yearly conference that my wife and I run, it's freespeechinmedicine.com. We do a yearly conference this year. We're actually doing it on uh, drug policy. Exactly what you brought up and where, you know, where did that come from and has it gone too far? We have an expert coming in to speak on that. We have, we're, we're really focusing on a transgender issue, issue this year. We have, kind of arguably the most uh, important, uh, most renowned expert in the world, Ken Zucker coming in to speak to us on that. We have Dr. Gad Saad. We're, we're digging into all these difficult issues, drug policy, COVID, uh, gender, um, you know, mm-hmm. but the MAID, we're probably going to have a speaker on MAID as well. So it's we're getting into all the tough stuff that gets very deep and philosophical. And, and again, I, I do think that all of the excesses are not coming from the libertarian world. Uh, the libertarian world, The libertarian world, it releases human beings to do terrible things to themselves if they want, but it doesn't release big administrative bodies and boards and organizations to foist harm on the rest of us that's not libertarian okay. so when somebody comes in with a new policy and says that we're not going to enforce if anybody shopless at your store we don't do much about that anymore like that's that's not a libertarian thing to say that you can take somebody else's property with impunity that's kind of a, a left
0: hyper left-wing postmodernist political decision nope. yeah wow um so yeah this is a good time to kind of wrap things up i want to speak to both of you more in the future Uh, uh, there's so many things to talk about but just for this case let's um so what's the process what are what were we looking forward to how can people either support or keep track of what's going on with getting the government to be accountable for the vaccine mandates
1: The Citizens' Alliance of Nova Scotia website has a downloadable copy of the record, and uh, soon I hope we'll have copies of all the publicly filed documents that that we can legally display, we will. Um, Yeah, and uh, if you would uh, not mind doing me a a little favor favor and shoot a little arrow toward Mr. Viva Fry there, Perhaps with a copy of the case, I would I would very much appreciate that, sir. But okay. yeah, we're going to try and get the word out. Our former counsel had forbidden the Citizens Alliance from speaking to anybody about the case for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are now, I'm trying to catch up. And, and again, thank you humbly for responding, sir. Lovely to see you again.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. My honor. Pleasure and doctor so i'll i'll point people to your website but it seems like you do a lot of writing too is there other ways that people can follow up on and support you
2: yeah for sure uh, my wife julie is a psychiatrist and uh, with a background in philosophy and poli sci and we we write a lot on a wide range of issues from technical to quite deep uh, like getting deep into the philosophy of things like gender science and things like that so we're on uh, it's we're the paradox p a i r o d-o-c-s paradox dot, uh, dot substack.com so we're on substack as the paradox and like i say people can go to freespeechandmedicine.com and and check out um uh, we mainly have info but our conference there we have a number of other links and we have uh, contact info too we're very happy to communicate
0: directly with people excellent excellent i'm totally going to have you both on if, if you're up for it I, I want to pick your brain more and you too William uh, it's great to catch up with you guys I'm going to end the recording now thank you so much and I think this is going to turn a lot of people on and hopefully YouTube doesn't completely tank my channel for uh, discussing these matters in public but we'll see Thanks. I hope I didn't say too much <laughs> it's always a risk